Please listen carefully. Hello, and welcome to Caveat Realtor with Virginia Realtors, where we discuss the real issues that realtors face. I'm John Haley. And I'm Jessica Toon. Remember, Caveat Realtor is meant to provide general legal information. Nothing we discuss should be considered as legal representation or legal advice. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Virginia Housing Development Authority. Hey, John. Hey, Jessica. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. I Good. feel like, John, that you and I are always on the podcast together where we're talking about technology or computer-related issues I don't know, for some reason. Obviously, I think we are the most online people in, Obviously. Uh, in the building. Obviously, the most tech-savvy. Right, right. We definitely, you know. Make sure all of our computers are uh, top notch. Right. People definitely come to me with their technology related questions. Mm-hmm. I'm kidding. I'm but, kidding, listeners. That well, doesn't happen. The answer is always turn it off and then turn it back on again. <laughs> and that works. Unplug it. <laughs> a shocking number of times. So. Right. Well, today we're going to be talking again about technology, John. So we're going to be talking a little bit about website accessibility standards. Right. And as Jessica implied, we've talked about website accessibility before. Uh, we released a podcast in October 2017 and a video that's currently available on our website. But this is one of those issues that does not remain stagnant because it deals with technology. And so as technology advances, things change and there's more information to provide. So we discussed in that previous podcast that there has been an increasing number of plaintiffs sending demand letters to businesses with websites stating that the website is inaccessible to persons with disabilities. And so it's in violation of Title III of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And this hasn't changed. In fact, the numbers have only increased. The number of actual legal cases has more than tripled, John, since 2017. That's a lot. Yeah. So that's to say that public awareness is growing, which will likely only lead to more demand letters and lawsuits. And unfortunately for you guys, while the awareness and cases have increased, neither the federal or state government has conclusively established specific standards or guidelines for businesses to follow to ensure they are complying with disability laws. This year, the Virginia General Assembly did pass a law that would have done two things. It would have required plaintiffs to provide 120 days notice to certain financial institutions before filing a lawsuit under the Virginians with Disabilities Act regarding website accessibility issues. It also would have established that if those institutions were in compliance with the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines 2.0, level double A, and that's a lot. We'll get into that more specifically in a few minutes. Um, But if they were in compliance with those guidelines, that they would be in compliance with the Virginians with Disabilities Act. And this bill did pass the General Assembly, but a quick uh, Virginia civics lesson for you all. The governor vetoed it because his office had concerns about the 120-day notice requirement for plaintiffs. The General Assembly did not have the votes needed to override that veto or pass the proposed substitute bill that the governor's office provided. So while we are back to having no specifically established guidelines for state cases, it's important to note that this bill would have only applied to financial institutions at this time anyways. It would have been something other businesses could point to, but would not have been directly applicable in a case against another type of business. Additionally, most of these cases are not brought under state laws, but instead they're brought in federal court under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And federal courts have interpreted the ADA as requiring businesses that are public accommodations to have websites that are accessible to those with disabilities. But, as previously noted, the federal government has not provided conclusive guidelines as to what that exactly means. However, the DOJ itself and the courts who have dealt with these cases have defaulted to the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, or WCAG, 
Let's go with WCAG. WCAG sounds weird. (laughs) When I said it out loud, it sounded weird. WCAG, which is a set of guidelines created by an international standards organization called the World Wide Web Consortium, also known as W3C. That sounds ominous, John. It it does. It really does. Any consortium. Sounds like Dr. Evil's Right, yeah. Over the years, the group has developed several sets of standards. Their current recommendation is titled version 2.1. But the standard that the DOJ and courts have referred to is the previous one, version 2.0. Then within the standards, there are levels. Single A, which is the least stringent, to triple A, which is the most stringent, kind of like minor league baseball. Courts have frequently cited the middle, double A, level in their rulings. We discussed the major principles of these guidelines in depth in our previous podcast, so we won't get too far in the weeds on that. You can go listen to that episode if you want more information in that regard. But the guidelines include making sure that the website works with popular screen readers, including tags for images, providing captioning for videos, and ensuring the website can be navigated with only a keyboard because some disabled persons cannot use a mouse. And if you're particularly risk-averse or you're in the process of redesigning your website anyways, we do recommend that you go ahead and get your website up to those guidelines. The federal court in the Western District of Virginia held in a 2018 case that if you get served with a website accessibility lawsuit, and you upgrade your website to comply with the WCAG 2.0 level AA standards before the case is heard, the court will grant a motion to dismiss. So that's an example of a court pointing to these guidelines as a standard to follow. Beyond limiting your risk, it can also be good business practice for many reasons. Disability advocates are effectively using platforms like Twitter and Facebook to show the public how their disability impacts their everyday lives, including how they do things on the internet. As a result, consumers, disabled and not disabled, are demanding more accessibility and accountability from businesses. So by proactively complying, you are showing that you're on board with the changes consumers want to see. Further, Google, which, as you all I assume know, is the Internet's leading search engine, has its own compliance standards that can affect how your website comes up in search results, also known as search engine optimization. So, adding features that make your website compliant might also cause your website to come up higher in search results. A real two birds, one stone situation there. And that's what the tech pros, and I guess now us, like to call synergy. Synergy, John. That's right. That's what we're all about. And if you're a real tech-savvy firm or agent and you use more than just a website, so we're talking social media, apps, things like that, examine the accessibility of those offerings as well. Some companies like YouTube and Facebook have the availability to add closed captions to any videos you promote through their site or applications. And even if you don't really use the web for promotional purposes, you almost certainly use email. You should check to make sure that works with text-to-voice systems. Most do, but it doesn't hurt to check or to ask. And finally, be sure your advertisements or promotional materials don't have inaccessible color combinations that would make it hard for a person with color blindness to read them. This goes even beyond tech into your print materials as well. Graphics and fun fonts and new colors are super cool, but not if some people can't read them. And statistics show that as many as 1 in 12 men have some form of colorblindness, so this is not an uncommon issue. The Virginia Department of Education has a website that contains accessibility tools and resources where you can get more information, including applicable guidance documents and several testing and evaluation tools. This includes a color contrast test to check the color combination issue that Jessica just talked about. And now, a word from our sponsor. VHDA works with realtors all over Virginia to offer down payment grants and loans for first-time homebuyers. Find the right solution for your client and locate a VHDA-approved lender near you. Just visit VHDA.com. All right, Jessica, 
Should we take it to the legal hotline now? I think we should. Let's go. Take it to the legal hotline. Jessica, so I listened to your podcast on website accessibility. Thanks. Do I have to make my website accessible? First of all, great job. Gold star for listening to the podcast. We're very proud of you. Definitely a real person uh, made up question. Right, right. Definitely real. Uh, So no current law states specifically that your website must meet certain guidelines or otherwise be considered accessible. However, several courts, particularly federal courts, have held that websites can be considered public accommodations under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So if a consumer filed a lawsuit against you for not having an accessible website, it is possible that you could be found to have violated the ADA. The information provided in this podcast is intended to help you limit your risk in this area. And with that in mind, we're going to give you a few more tips on how to limit your risk. Do an audit of your website's accessibility. There are free online services and also paid vendors who do it. Finding out where you stand is the first step in deciding how to move forward. At the very least, make sure your website is compliant with the most common screen reading standards. If you use a third-party website provider, talk to them about the standards and whether they have taken any steps to make your site accessible. Have an option on your website for consumers to contact you regarding any issue that they may have with the site. And finally, if you receive a demand letter, contact an attorney immediately. That's right. Thank you for joining us. Caveat Realtor is a weekly podcast with episodes released every Tuesday. Our podcast is available for streaming through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Subscribe to our podcast to get automatic updates when we have new episodes, and please rate us. Remember, members of Virginia Realtors have access to our legal hotline, where we can provide you with legal information. You can access the legal hotline on the Virginia Realtors website under the Legal tab on the For Members section. Make sure you're logged in to see this page. Thanks. Although the members of this podcast are attorneys, the legal information in this program is not a substitute for personalized legal advice from an attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. The information provided by Virginia Realtors is general reference work as public service and does not constitute solicitation or provision of legal advice. We provide this general legal information on an as-is basis, we make no warranties, and disclaim liability for damages resulting from its use. Legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and laws are constantly changing. The information provided in this program should not be used as a substitute for the advice of competent counsel. This has been a production of Virginia Realtors, copyright 2019. This podcast features the song Please Listen Carefully by Jazar, available under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license.